Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. With the state of the world over the past couple of years, so many of my clients and listeners have told me that their sleep has really been impacted. So I feel I'd be doing you a massive disservice if I didn't introduce you to our newest sponsor, Ned, because they have a solution for you. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants. It's grown by an independent farmer and his family in Colorado. Now, Ned's co-founder and I sat down and had a really lovely conversation about sourcing and farming practices and how they chose their farm. And this company is the real deal. I've been using these products for a while now with incredible results. So Ned's best-selling sleep blend offers a natural solution for a good night's sleep. It contains CBN, which is a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep. It has seven 150 milligrams of CBD, and it also has uh, organic and wildcrafted botanicals. You all know that I love Nervine herbs. So it has oat straw, lemon balm, passion flower, skull cap. These are herbs that help to relax the body and promote sleep. Now, if you need help unwinding at night, I highly recommend purchasing the Dream Set because it also contains Mellow, which is their awesome magnesium blend that features GABA and L-theanine. This is a non negotiable in my nighttime routine lately. So it's my birthday month. It's Ned's birthday month. If you'd like to give their new and improved sleep blend a try, functional nutrition listeners get 21% off with code FUNK for the month of March only. It is their best offer of the year. Visit helloned.com forward slash FUNK to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Funk to get 21% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. And then also to all of my Organifi loving friends, get excited, get ready because something new is coming. I'm teasing it out. It's not released to the public yet, but you will be the first to know about it. All I can tell you now is that it tastes amazing. You're going to love it. And it has a really healthy dose of ashwagandha, which is one of my all-time favorite adaptogens, helps the body cope and adapt to stress. It's also really good if you have a low androgen picture. So you have like low DHEA, low testosterone, super common. Uh, ashwagandha can be helpful for that. So get ready. I will announce it as soon as it's live. Check it out yourself heading to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. Be sure to use code FUNK to save 20% off of your purchase. Hello, friends. Today's episode is all about gut health, so get ready, you little gut geeks. I'm not going to go into specifics of supplements and food. Gosh, we have lots of episodes about that, but what I'm going to talk to you about today is extraordinarily important 
And you might consider adding this to your gut healing protocol. Now, if you need help with your gut, with a gut healing protocol, we have uh, opened our waitlist back up so you can head to the functionalnutritionist.com forward slash membership to read through the process and to apply. We take a peek, I take a peek at all of the applications and then I pair you up with the best provider on our team. So that is now available to all of you. All right, Secretory IGA. It is the name of the game of today's show. On Instagram, where all good things happen, (laughs) I shared that um, I did, my most recent stool test came back with some really cool stuff. Now, I run a stool test just about annually, sometimes once every, I don't know, uh, year and a half or so, um, because I fully understand how important overall gut health is to my overall health. Now, as somebody who used to struggle with autoimmunity, I also understand that the gut plays a massive role in our immune system. So it's something that I like to keep eyes on. And I have had tremendous amount of uh, gut dysfunction in the past. So my last few stool tests showed very low dysbiosis, which is a good thing. So Basically, there was nothing kind of crazy going on. There was no tomfoolery. Nothing, you know, the weeds of the garden weren't terribly overgrown. I didn't have any pathogens. But my secretory IgA kept coming back low for years. And I am talking scraping the bottom of the barrel low. Like to the point when my clients have low secretory IgA, I'm like, don't worry, you didn't beat me. I'm still the lowest. I'm still (laughs) the champion of this game. Um... No matter what intervention I did to try to support my gut and my mucosal immunity, and by the way, I know all of the tricks. Every single supplement that is known, that is clinically uh, researched or clinically shown to increase secretory IgA levels, I've taken them all, okay? And despite that, it kept coming back low, like depressingly low. And To be honest with you, I I really carried around a belief that this is kind of just like my cross to bear. This is my bag. This is my thing. Um, I've got the autoimmunity. I've got the low secretory IgA. It's just my, my thing that I have to deal with. That was a belief. And so because it was a belief, of course, I continued to see the, uh, the evidence of that. Um, I also, I want to throw this out there because I'm sure that you've heard me say this. Well, I mean, you don't hang on my every single word, I'm sure, but longtime listeners may have heard me say something that uh, because I was bulimic for eight years, I worry that my digestive capacity is just always going to be low because every single stool test I've run, my uh, pancreatic uh, elastase always comes back low, like no matter what. And again, P.S., I'm doing all the interventions, like I know the things to do. So... With this latest test, I was like shocked. I was like, I had this moment of just like sitting on the couch, reading my results and being like, I am so proud of my body because my secretory IgA was in a nice, healthy, robust range, as was my digestive capacity markers. My steatocrit was below detectable limits. My elastase was, um, I can't think of it exactly, but it was, and it was in a good range and it historically has not been. So holy smokes, this is cool. Like this is really cool. Something changed. 
Something changed dramatically. We were seeing physical evidence of something in my body changing. So today I'm going to talk about the changes that I made. But first, I, I, I know I've talked about SIG-A, secretory IgA on the show before, but let's just do a, more of a comprehensive deep dive into this immunoglobulin because it's, it's a biggie. It's a real good one. We want to have it. Secretory IgA is also known as secretory immunoglobulin A. Immunoglobulins are named for antibodies. So this is SIG-A or secretory IgA, I'll kind of refer to it interchangeably, um, is a predominant antibody class in mucosal secretion. So this is our mucosal immunity. It's produced by white blood cells, and then it's transported into fluids secreted by mucosal cells. We've got mucus all over our body. It's a pretty big player when it comes to our immune system. SIG-A is the dominant antibody in our gut mucus. So that's like intestinal intestinal barrier. So if you, you know, if you hear about leaky gut, we're talking about the intestinal barrier. It's the main antibody in our saliva. So like literally as soon as food comes in contact with our mouth or anything comes in contact with our mouth, it's it's meeting secretory IgA. It's in our tears, it's in breast milk, it's in respiratory mucus, and it's also in urogenital mucus. Secretory IgA is a is a big player when it comes to the immune system because it represents really like a first line of defense. You'll hear it referred to that quite often in response to antigens. Now, antigens, I'll remind you, are anything foreign to the body. So allergens, food, protein, bacteria, yeast, right? All of these things can gain entry into our body. So our immune system has to have a way to differentiate self from non-self, right? So SIG-A is going to like recognize any pathogens that might be coming in once it hits the mouth or once it gets all the way down to the digestive tract. Now, when we're measuring SIG-A on a stool test, we are measuring fecal secretory IgA. So that's really looking specifically at the gut, okay? In addition to protecting against pathogens, remember that first line of defense against pathogens or gnarly critters coming in, secretory IgA also plays a role in helping to maintain balance in the microbiome. Uh, It also protects against exposure to antigens from food, so proteins coming in from food. And it's really important to understand this, especially if you have multiple food sensitivities, that when secretory IgA is low, these little guys called the dendritic cells can get overactive. So robust SIG-A levels help to keep dendritic cells from being overreactive. When dendritic cells get overreactive, they start tagging lots of food protein as foe as foreign invader. So the immune system starts to react. So secretory IgA, massively important when it comes to preventing food sensitivities. Okay. So that's like a little clinical pearl. Uh, I know I have a lot of clinicians that listen to the show. Um, I'm going to be talking about food sensitivities a lot more coming up. Um, So if you struggle with food sensitivities yourself, or you struggle with clients with them, keep this in mind. That's a, that's really important. Uh, when secretory IgA is low, it's like the bouncer at the bar is gone. So anybody can come on in. And when the, when we have low secretory IgA, especially the lower it gets, the more prone you will be to a, a, a getting infections. Um, and the less likely 
you'll you'll um the less like you'll the less likely you will be gosh that's a tongue twister a lot of l's um to clearing up any existing infections so big player but i just want to kind of throw out this hot tip because yes secretory iga works in the digestive tract but remember we find it other places too, like the sinuses, the navel cavity, the respiratory system, your bladder, your vagina, the urethra. So if you have low secretory IgA, you might be more prone to infections in these areas, like respiratory infections. <laughs> Let me clear my throat. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, urinary tract infections, bladder infections. Okay. So uh, if any of that sounds like you, Hmm, I wonder what's happening with secretory IgA. Of course, there's multiple multiple factors that can play into all of those things, but that's a big one. And then I got, when I posted about this, because uh, I did uh, a Reels, I did a video about this, so I, a lot of questions came in. And one of them, the most common question that came up was about high secretory IgA, high fecal secretory IgA. So if you do a GI map or you do a stool test that measures secretory IgA and you see that the levels are high, well, what the hell, what does that mean? And that is, you know, you think about it, if this is an immune response and it's high, that's an elevated immune response. So your immune system's like mad. It's kind of like doing work. It's like something is off here and like we have to like ramp up. When secretory IgA is high, that's telling us that uh, your body is trying to increase the immunity in your gut to try to enhance the barrier system to protect uh, from threat and keep everything safe. So when it's high, we can think about the fact, it, it, it can allude to the fact that you're probably dealing with an active trigger. So this active trigger, it might be uh, a pathogen. It might be gut dysbiosis, like the weeds are overgrown. It could also be a food reaction. So we will commonly see secretory IgA elevated if your body is reacting to food. So when I see it high, I'm like, okay, we have to figure out why, what is causing it to be high. When I see it low, I'm thinking, what's your cortisol doing? Because we oftentimes see SIG-A, low SIG-A paired with low cortisol picture, with a burnout picture, with an exhaustion picture. I am thinking, is there autoimmunity here? Um, I, I'm kind of thinking of like long-term chronic stuff. We can also see if somebody's been dealing with a chronic gut infection, meaning it's been going on for a while, you know, when it first happens, we might see high secretory IgA, but over time, it might kind of grind down on the immune system and we might see low secretory IgA. So we're always trying to figure out the whys. And that's really where the functional lab testing can come in super handy. Um, but that's kind of, that is where I'm going to stop talking about lab testing and functional medicine modalities in regards to like labs and supplements. And I'm going to switch gears to the often overlooked, but equally important or even arguably more important, which is like mindset and belief work. And it is my belief that this is where current functional medicine um, modalities kind of miss the mark. And this is something that I'm constantly talking about with my practitioners in the Functional Nutrition Academy. P.S. Did you know I run a school for nutrition professionals? It is called the Functional Nutrition Academy. At the time of this recording, it may or may not still be open. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but you can head to functionalnutritionacademy.com to learn more. Because again, I know I have a lot of providers that listen to the show, which simply delights me. Okay. So what did I finally do to turn things around? 
I watched my thoughts. So we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? The thoughts that we think over and over and over again become beliefs. That's what a belief is. It's just a thought you've been thinking for a really long time. Beliefs start to get anchored in as truths. These truths begin to create our reality. If we expect to see something because if we believe it to be so, then chances are we're going to see that. We're going to see that story play out in real life. This is a really important concept, not just to your health, but like to everything. So I changed my story by changing my thought patterns. And I know that's almost like a frustrating thing to hear because it's like, oh, cool story, bro. Like how? And I, I'm going to talk about some real practical action steps you can take in, in today's podcast, because I, I want you to walk away with not just knowledge, but like, hey, how do I apply that knowledge? But I am also building out curriculum on more of a process to help you practice these things. Uh, so stay tuned for that. I will announce it here first. I promise you that y'all will get first dibs. So today is going to be like a banger. It's a lot. It packs a powerful punch, especially if you actually like do these things. But just keep in mind, we are simply scratching the surface of all this stuff. So I changed my thoughts. And on top of that, this is the checklist. Um, I, I gave a checklist in my Instagram post. It was, I focused on things that brought me joy. I allowed myself to do things that felt good without guilt. I said no more often, again, without the guilt. I allowed myself to receive support and I practiced a uh, kind of a, a, a style of meditation or an experiential practice that is shown clinically to increase secretory IgA. So these were like the major changes I, I made. Um, and, you know, a lot of this was during COVID. So I'm like, hey, if I can increase my secretory IgA, right, that's enhancing my overall immune system. Like, I'll do, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll, I want to support my immune system. It's really important. I think the past two years have highlighted just how important. So, so I went for it. Um, I'm going to expand on all of those things today. Like I said, I'm not going to get into the whole like supplements in probiotics, uh, discussion, uh, just for the sake of, of time, but there are specific supplements and probiotics that I use in my practice when I'm working with a client who has low secretory IgA to help support those levels. Uh, certain probiotic strains are shown to support secretory IgA. Saccharomyces boulardii is one of them. It's actually a yeast. It, it, it's not a bacteria, but there are certain bacterial strains that also help uh, lactobacillus rhamnosus, lactobacillus casei, lactobacillus plantarum, bifidobacterium bifidum, bifidobacterium longum, bifidobacterium brevi. I think somebody should give me an award for saying those, but those are all bacterial strains that help to support secretory IgA levels. I think it's worth mentioning here because it's like, it's generally speaking, not super helpful to just like throw out bacterial strains and be like, good luck out there. Uh, but more so to highlight a, a particular product. I think it's worth mentioning that all of those strains that I just mentioned, not the sac Bilardi, but all the bacterial strains that I just mentioned are all in BioCult's boosted product. So there's a, a reason that BioCult um, promotes this boosted product as immune support, right? It's because the strains that are in this product 
help with the immune system. BioCult is a longtime sponsor of the show. They're a trusted brand of mine. This particular product delivers 14 strains of live bacteria to support your gut and your immune system. All of their strains are backed by clinical research. They're gluten-free, they're shelf-stable, perfect for daily use and on the go. And you, my friends, can save 15% off your order when you use code FUNK15. You can check out the link in uh, link in the bio. So probiotics are a good resource um, when it comes to improving SIG A levels. Ultimately, you can't restore your immune tolerance and increase secretory IgA levels with supplements and probiotics alone in most cases, but they are a bigger part of the overall picture. Um, and I've certainly seen, clinically, I've certainly seen them help improve secretory IgA. I also think it's worth noting, however, that I was taking most of the supplements, like I said at the beginning, and it wasn't really moving the needle for me personally. So I've seen it happen clinically. For me personally, it, it wasn't really making a dent. So let's talk more about the specific changes I made. And these changes, I want to point out, just like the supplement intervention, just like the probiotics, these are also based on research, okay? So for my research junkies out there, this isn't just like, we like far out stuff. This is, you know, we've got, we've got some good research to back this up. Um, for the sake of this discussion, it is important, it's imperative to understand, especially if you struggle with low secretory IgA, that... From a psycho-neuroimmune response, so let's break that down. Psycho, that's your psyche, right? That's your brain, that's your mind. Neuro is your brain, it's your nervous system. Immune, it's your immune system, right? So there's this field of study recognizes that they're all interconnected. They're all talking to each other. So from a psycho-neuroimmune response, secretory IgA is one of the most immunological reactive compounds. Well, what the hell does that mean? That means grab a pen. If you've drifted away, come back to me now. That means your thoughts, your emotions, your stressors, mental, emotional, physical stressors have a huge impact on these immunoglobulin levels. Whoa, right? Whoa. We know that physical, mental, and emotional stress dampens secretory IgA levels, lowers it. So things that we can start to do, and that I did, is to reduce your exposure to negative images. So I would just stop for a second and considering like the information that you consume or the entertainment that you consume. Personally, I've seen like entertainment, like people like love murder mysteries. People love, like, I just feel like TV is getting so much more gnarly violence. And, um, I'm not going to like throw out any trigger bombs, but like, you know, gnarly stuff is happening on the big screen. Um, in the shows that we're watching, I have some general rules about like what I watch and my husband will be like, you don't want to watch anything. I'm like, correct. I don't want to watch things that pitch me into a stress response 60 minutes before I'm supposed to lay my head down on a pillow and get some shut eye. You are correct in that, sir. No, thank you. I am not available for that. Life is hard enough. I don't need to be reminded of it during my like wind down time. That's why I love me some Bravo Housewives. It's just good fun. It's just pure entertainment. 
You know, I love watching my gals. Um, but really consider the, what you take in the news, your, the TV, movies, social media, and consider how much exposure you're getting to negative images. Is it just like, are you, is it kind of like, you know, I, I think the term is trauma porn image. Did I just make that up? I feel like that's like a real thing, but like just kind of being perpetually washed in in like images of trauma. Now, listen, I am saying this at a very, I'm recording this at a very uh, traumatic time in history. Have no doubt. I am not suggesting that we bypass these things that are happening. I am just proposing to you, like, is it helping you to be perpetually like baked into the casserole of like really gnarly negative images all the time? How does that serve you? How does that help you? Is that supporting your health? And this has been, you know, I don't know. I don't need to go down that that rabbit hole. I would really urge you to think about that, though, because when people are exposed to negative images, this is acts of violence. This is inhumane acts. Secretory IGA levels drop for several hours after 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 being exposed to this. So listen, if you're constantly getting exposed to this stuff. That's not super supportive of your overall immune system and your overall gut health. Um, we also know stress physiology promotes leaky gut. I'm not going to unpack that because, gosh, I mean, I've talked about it so, so, so much on the show, uh, but we know that. We know that high cortisol levels breaks down the intestinal lining. We know that cortisol dysregulation can suppress secretory IgA. We know that leaky gut is associated with... Um, with suppressed secretory IgA. So, you know, we really have to be mindful of our overall stress. Reduced levels of secretory IgA or low secretory IgA are seen following a variety of psychosocial factors, including stressful life situations, withdrawal of social support, negative emotional emotional states like bereavement, anxiety, and the need to have power and to influence others. I thought that was an interesting one. So I'm reading this verbatim from a study called The uh, Physiological and Psychological Effects of Compassion and Anger. I'll I'll pitch that into the show notes. Actually, Lauren will do that. P.S. Lauren's back, well, pseudo back from maternity leave. She's back um, editing the podcast for uh, uh, Jenna took over. And now, now, now Lauren's back. This makes me feel good. Talking about stress and feel-good chemicals, my dream team's is the band's back together. You know, this feels really good. Anyway, I'm just saying that because I know Lauren's going to hear it when she's editing. Hi. Um, okay. So all of those factors can lower secretory IJ and they can't be looked right. You can't just take a fistful of immunoglobulins and a fistful of probiotics and be like, everything's fine. My immune system is fine. No, we have to look at how our environment, how our thoughts, how our emotions are impacting our physical body, right? Right. So now let's talk about factors that can increase, that can support healthy secretory IgA levels. Positive emotions, numero uno, my dudes. Positive emotions produce a significant increase in secretory IgA levels. And I know that somebody out there is going to be like, but what if I have high sig A? Positive emotion, emotions aren't going to like, aren't going to harm you. I would think about this is how we support healthy immune system balance. Okay. 
Now, self-induction of positive emotional states is more effective at stimulating secretory IgA levels than previously used external methods. Self-induction techniques may therefore be useful in minimizing the immunosuppressive effects of negative emotions. Okay, let's tuck into that. What does that mean? Basically, what do self-induction techniques mean? Basically, you're, you get yourself in a vibe. How's that sound? Is that good? Is that, does that work for you? That's how I think about it. I'm like, I got to get myself in a vibe. I got to reorganize my energy. My, my team hears me say that all, all the time, my friends and my team. Got to reorganize my energy. Um, you get yourself in a vibe. You experience these emotions, these positive emotions, at a deep physical feeling level as possible, as deep as you can get. Like you want to physically feel it in your body. That's it. That's the kind of the the secret sauce. So we're trying to get ourselves, self-induction, we're trying to get ourselves in a state of positive emotion. And I want to break down what some of those might look like. And then we want to just like physically feel that in the body. Compassion. We'll talk about self-compassion too, which is basically like compassion directed, directed inward. What does compassion feel like in the body? Gratitude, enjoyment, pleasure, joy, love, inspiration. All of these would be considered positive emotions. I don't love to call them positive emotions. That's kind of like what the literature refers to them to because it kind of, you know, if we have positive emotions, then we have to have negative emotions. And, you know, I think all emotions are valid. They're all information from your body. Um, We don't want to just like kind of like hang out in the quote-unquote negative emotions, though, long-term. We want to take them for what they are, information, and then we want to do something about that. Okay, so this really became a daily practice for me. Some days I would do the, like, practice the meditation style for an hour. Some days it would be 15 minutes. Sometimes I would kind of chunk it up, and I would do 10 minutes, maybe three times a day. So I would I do this walking all of the time. Like, if somebody is driving by me... <laughs> They're probably like, what is she on? And I'm like, I'm just on like high vibes, you know? I'm just self-inducing, just self-inducing my, uh, my feel goods right now so I can increase that secretory IgA. Thanks for asking. But I, I did this daily. This became a regular practice. And that's what, it, that's what you have to understand. This takes a regular practice. It was like a year and a half between stool tests. Like I'm not, I'm not, you know, this isn't a, this isn't something you do once and you're like, everything's good. Everything's awesome. It, this is a regular practice. And trust me when I say this, like you're going to want to continue to do this because it makes you feel better. You know, it feels good feeling good. It reminds me of a song by Elvin Bishop. Is he a one hit wonder? Maybe, maybe. Um, look it up. It's a, it's a good high vibe song. Sure feels good feeling good again. Um, but you're going to want to continue to do it. This, uh, I, I'm going to throw a couple of articles into the show notes just in case, you know, you're interested in this. Results show an improvement in health and self-reported mood. See, it makes you feel good along with an increase in the secretory IgA levels of participants and a reduction in salivary cortisol levels. Boom, right? So it helps to normalize and improve SIG-A and 
cortisol. These results reinforced existing evidence of the beneficial effects of mindfulness and self-compassion on health. Okay. So self-compassion, we, we can throw that into the mix. Self-compassion is something that we have to work at also. This is a practice. This is not something that many of us are like very good at. So, okay. This is what I did. I focused on things that brought me joy so I could access those emotions. I allowed myself to do things that felt good without guilt. This was a little bit of a moving target. That wasn't super easy for me. Um, I, I know that I've told you before here, last year I started working with a coach who gave me the advice to only do things in my business that felt good like to allow that to be my barometer in my gauge. And throughout that experiment, I really have uncovered this like inner belief of like, who am I to do this? Or who am I to feel good? Which, yikes, <laughs> yikes, that's not great, right? If a friend of mine said that to me about them, like, oh, I don't, I don't, who am I to feel good? I would lose my shit. But this is, this is kind of, this is why we, we talk about limiting beliefs is because they are, they're deep down. Like we have to uncover those. Um, so, and I, I bring this up because I don't think that this is like a unique thing to me, like struggling with feeling good. I think a lot of us probably grapple with that or like maybe some guilt around like, you know, who am I to do something that feels good? which lies. I mean, why do we buy into that lie? Gosh, where did that lie come from? Terrible, terrible lie. Um, but I, I want to throw this out there to you. Do you feel like you can even, if I'm saying like you got to access feeling good, do you even feel like you could do that? Do you feel like you can access feeling good in your body? What does that feel like to you? Can you get there? Can you do that? Because the truth is, that if you have a history of illness, chronic illness, or mystery symptoms, um, or a history of disordered eating, or a little one-two punch of both, and I, I know a lot of listeners do struggle with those things, feeling good in your body might be challenging for you. So this is a little bit of a, of a micro shift away from the overarching topic of secretory IgA, but I, I think, like bear with me because I think we have to go here today. The reason that I want to bring this up is because I heard from a lot of people last week. So as you know, I think, maybe you know this, I announced a new podcast sponsor, Dry Farm Wines, last week. And to celebrate, I made a Reels video on Instagram because I, I said on the, the episode last week, I'm like, this is a vision board sponsor. So very cool. I was like, oh my God, this feels so fun. Yay. Super excited. And I'm no fool. Listen, all right. I'm not a fool. I fully recognize that this type of sponsorship has, might light some people up. It has the potential to rub people the wrong way. So I was like, fully recognizing that. And, you know, I don't, I hand select my sponsors. Like there's a lot of thought and attention and care that goes into who I partner with. So I, I understood that. And I also made the choice that I made, you know, with clarity. But I posted that reels and so many people were just stoked. It was like really all support. It was all excitement. People who drink wine are 
you know, we're generally looking for better options. That's why I wanted to partner with them to present you with a better option. As we learned on last week's podcast, wine is highly processed, just like our food. Third, uh, three giant wine companies sell over 50% of the wine. Over 70 additives are legally approved for use in winemaking, like dyes, flavoring, thickeners, sterilizers, GMO, yeast, chemicals like dimethyl dicarbonate. Now, for folks who do struggle with like health challenges, these are kind of all like no-nos for a lot of us. Uh, the top 20 wines sold in the U.S. contain high levels of sugar and alcohol. All of these factors could really help explain the infamous wine headache. So uh, I was like, cool, dry farm wines is a great option for people because they follow very strict criteria. They are natural wines, which means they're organically and biodynamically grown. They're sugar-free, low alcohol, grown on small family farms. And so I wanted to bring that to you. By the way, if you're interested in that, please check out dryfarmwines.com forward slash funk because you get uh, I want to say a free bottle, but I can't say that. It's a, a bottle for a penny because it would be illegal to give away alcohol. Um, cheers to you if you care to imbibe. And if you don't, no worries. Like, you know, let's move on. Uh, but so, so most people were stoked with that information. Like I was stoked when I originally heard about this company on a podcast. But there was one naysayer. There's always got to be the one. There's one naysayer that kind of swooped in and it was... It wasn't so much the information, it was like the mansplainy, condescending way that it was delivered. I'm not the only person to say that. That was the feed, the general consensus, because it was very much so like wine, you know, or alcohol uh, is so bad for gut health because it's basically like a sterilizer for the gut. And I'm like, all right, here we go. So I responded and I'm like, you know, I get it, right? Like totally get that. But like, you know what's really, really good for gut health is pleasure. It's enjoyment. It's doing things that bring us joy. And not for nothing, but a glass of red wine, uh, like sitting down with a, with a friend and like connecting with community or like cooking dinner, like that brings me so much joy. My um, One of my friends said, She's, she's like, I crave the experience of a glass of red wine. And she's like, it's not like I crave the alcohol. I like crave the experience, what it feels like for my soul. And I'm like, that is so beautiful. <laughs> That's how I feel too. Um, anyway, but I was like, this is the type of stuff that I really had to tap into and like allow myself to enjoy experiences, especially with something that in my head, I was like, this is toxic. This is bad for me. I had to overcome those situations so I could tap into, or th- th- not those situations, those, um, those thoughts, those thought spirals, those circular thoughts, those fears, those anxieties, so I could access joy in my body. Right. And I'm like, so that was my response. It's kind of like, don't yuck my yum. I get that alcohol isn't a health food. And also, you know, let me live. Let me enjoy this glass of wine because it brings me pleasure. And I just improved my, you know, a secretory IGA by like a thousand points. So clearly I'm doing something right, you know? I'ma do me. Let me live. Um, so anyway, I kind of like posted that and then I moved on and then he came back and 
it was a little bit more uh, aggressive. And what I didn't realize is he actually tagged a couple of people. And one of those people is it's a girl named Alicia. And I have to read what she wrote because I think there are people here on this podcast because there are sure shit people in my DMs that said very similar stuff. She wrote back to him and she said, I did cut out. He was basically like, can you go 30 days? Will you accept the challenge? Like, we're like, chill out, bro. (laughs) She said, I did cut out alcohol for two years while I healed my gut. Now I enjoy an occasional drink, and I'm happy that Aaron is sharing better quality options for those occasions. You know what does negatively impact my health that I have to work on daily? Perfectionistic thinking, I'm sorry, perfectionist thinking and worrying that every little thing is going to hurt my health. I've had to work really hard on my mindset to release severe anxiety around my health. Her comment is unfortunate. I don't think you can access it, which is why I want to read it here. Once I realized he was tagging other people, I just blocked him. A blocker, blocker, blocker. Because if you come for me, I might clap back. But if you come for my people, like you're done. You know, you lose access to my platform, right? You lose access to everybody on this, on this, in this community, in this, like you don't, you don't get to play. I can't do that with podcasts, but I mean, I think everyone that listens to the podcast is really kind and supports me. Cause like, why would you keep coming back for more if you like secretly hated me? It's <laughs> weird. That would be a weird thing to do. But, um, I just, you know, I, I want you, I want to say this mantra and I want you to repeat it after me. Access to my energy is a privilege. You know, you say it about you cause it's true for you too. Right. Remember that access to your energy and to your platform, no matter how big or how small is a privilege. Not everybody just gets access to that. I don't know who taught, who told us that was true, but it's not access to us is a privilege. So if you're going to act crappy, you're going to get blocked. So that's why Alicia, because she was responding to him because he called her out directly, which is fudged up. Um, I think it disappeared, but I think it really deserves a highlight and a place to live on. So thank you, Alicia, for that. Like you are, I think you're a voice piece for a lot of people's experiences. You're echoing what so many people, how so many people feel. Um, like I said, a lot of you said similar things in my DMs and a couple of friends even reached out to say similar stuff. And this is, this is big stuff. It probably warrants a whole other show. But I want to touch upon it here because I think it fits into this. If I'm telling you, like, we got to access joy, we got to access pleasure, I think it fits into that. One of my mentors, Jessica Flanagan, the real MVP, I did my spiritual coaching certification with her in 2018. And then I did a transformational eating certification with her, I think last year, might have been 2020 or 21, whatever, what is time? But she talks a lot about healing diet orthorexia. That is a term that she coined. Because we know that healing diets can be a practical way to heal from chronic illness. I mean, we talk so much on the show about that, right? Like certain things, certain uh, antigens and triggers that you might need to avoid, right? And we, we also know that healing diets can feel very restrictive to some people, autoimmune paleo protocol, low histamine diets, low oxalate diets, low FODMAP diets, GAPS diet, ketogenic. These are all, depending on how you look at it, these can all 
be perceived as restrictive. And some people are doing all of these all at once. They have so many health challenges that they're like, oh my gosh, I have to manage my illness through diet. And it can lead them feeling like there's only a few foods that are safe. Now, of course, restrictive is all relative. Like what is restrict, what feels restrictive to one person may not be restrictive to another. I know some people look at the way that I eat and that, that feels restrictive to them. And to me, it feels like pure freedom. Like I, I never, I don't get caught up in food drama at all, not even a smidge. Um, so I guess we need to, I guess if you're listening to this and you're like, is it, is it me? Is that me? Um, maybe we should identify some some signs that you might be stepping into the danger zone of some disordered eating. In disordered eating, there's not really a definition for it. It's kind of like a departure from a normal way of eating, but like, how do you define normal, right? Like, how do you even do that? So let me give you some specifics. Preoccupation with food, like an unhealthy obsession preoccupation with food that is pulling you out of your day-to-day life, that's keeping you from enjoying your day-to-day life. Binge restrict cycles. So compulsive eating or feeling a loss of control over eating. And then maybe some, if that's peppered with some restrictive cycles as well. Skipping meals or irregular eating patterns. Food fear, food anxiety, obsessive thoughts about healthy eating. Like Every time you eat something, you're like, how will this impact my symptoms? How will this impact my illness? How will this impact my experience? How will this impact my weight? Like, like obsessive, um, like overwhelming thoughts about food, uh, like playing mental tennis about whether or not you eat something. Do I eat it? Do I not eat it? Should I eat it? Should I not eat it? Yes. No, maybe so. Right. Rather than just taking all the, the mental drama out of the eating experience, um, feelings of guilt or shame around eating. This is a huge one. Feeling like if you eat something, but like having this thought of like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be eating this. Um, or one wrong bite is going to harm me. One wrong bite is going to flare me or lead to disease progression or pull me out of remission, right? Those are, um, the stakes are really high. Like feeling like the stakes are really high with food. So all of that, you know, I would kind of put that in the bucket of disordered eating. And we can see that over time if somebody is on a healing diet. The really tricky part about this is that quote unquote departure from our normal way of eating might be prescribed by a healthcare provider, by a doctor, by a nutritionist. Maybe we're told that that is the best way to eat to heal our illness. And that is not a dig at any providers at all. Like, but, but we, can, we might hear this information or maybe not even from somebody we're working with. We might hear it on a podcast. We might read it in a blog. We might see something on social media, right? We might gather this information and we block in this belief that, or lock in this, L-O-C-K, lock in this belief that... I have to eat this way in order to heal. And if I depart from this, then that is going to cause a healing crisis, right? That is a heavy load to carry. And these healing diets, they might be okay. They might be okay for a period of time. They might be okay forever. And they might not. This is where things get really muddy, really muddy, because it is true that certain foods can cause problems with your gut or your immune system or your health. 
And it is true that feeling really stressed out about food and not being able to enjoy your food, those things can be kind of not super beneficial for your overall gut health. Eating in a state of enjoyment, your digestion works completely differently than when you eat from a relaxed, calm state. Completely differently. Like the the, the science is way off, <laughs> way different. And this is why the subject of gut health is just so complex and nuanced. So when I see somebody be like, all you got to do is a gut health protocol, I'm like, oof. I love it, but I, I love it. It's part of the picture, but like there's also so much more that we have to be talking about. There's no easy answer here. There is no one direct path. And some of these answers are really things that you have to self-source yourself. Like this podcast is general, general education, right? This is like, this is not me telling you what to do because I don't know you but you know you. And so some of these answers can come within, from within. And if they can't, that's a really good sign that you should consider working with somebody who can help you, who can help you access those answers, right? We, we, I'm just going to say this as an aside. Like we never want to look to our providers as the one answer because that is that is saying like, I got to outsource the answers, right? I got to, I got to reach outside myself and they can provide me with the answers. You always want to work with a provider who brings you back to yourself to help you, who weighs in, right? Gives their expertise. That's what I love to do based on labs, right? Here's what I think is going on. But ultimately I'm always trying to pull people back to themselves. Now, I will say personally, there were times throughout my healing process where I had to get very limited with what I was exposed to, with the food that I ate or like the chemicals that I came in contact with. And, you know, like I get that, right? That was a part of my experience. But I also got to a point where I had to ask myself, are these still my current needs? And is this making my world feel smaller? And is that serving my health? This is why belief work is so important when it comes to your health. So earlier I was talking about having some like weird hangups and beliefs around feeling good. So if that's true, if I'm like, I don't, I feel kind of guilty about feeling good, right? Then chances are I am going to create experiences that reflect my beliefs, which might be feeling good is not available to me. Feeling good is bad. Jeez, that's something to think about, right? That's something, that's something to think on. Some other common beliefs that will come up, um, especially in regards to healing, is I have to work really hard to heal, or healing is hard work, or I have to give up a lot in order to heal. So, yeah, belief work. Um, again, if, if this is something that you're looking to do, you can apply to our wait list and and get in to talk about some functional labs, but also those beliefs, because those beliefs are going to really inform, uh, your physical reality. Okay. So let's say you have low secretory IgA, which is very common with autoimmune issues, right? And you're hearing me say that in order to increase 
secretory IgA, in order to support your gut, in order to support your immune system, you have to tap into feelings of feeling good. And then you're like, but that's a challenge for me. Okay. So if we're not there yet, maybe you're like feeling good is like a far off dream at this point. Okay. Okay. Let me give you another idea. Self-compassion right? Because remember, compassion was one of those emotions that can help improve secretory IgA, especially if you're trying to struggle with a diet or you're caught up in this, like this or that thinking. You're like, do I choose this or do do I choose that? I know when it comes to healing, there's like, you're bombarded with information. You're like, what do I do? What is my path forward? Which one? Which one? Is it this or is it that? I love what Jessica Flanagan says. She says, self-compassion doesn't take sides. You get support no matter what you choose. And that's a brilliant path. Ugh, does that feel as soothing to your nervous system as it does to mine? You get support no matter what you choose. You get support no matter what you choose. And she refers to self-compassion as sitting with yourself doing a hard thing. Let me give you another uh, way to look at self-compassion. This is straight from Kristen Neff, who is really a leading expert on self-compassion. I'm going to read this blurb to you. Think about what the experience of compassion feels like. Remember, we're trying to tap into like, we're trying to tap into like the physical sensation of what this feels like in your physical body. So think about the experiences or the experience of what compassion feels like. First, To have compassion for others, you must notice that they are suffering. Second, compassion involves feeling moved by others' suffering so that your heart responds to their pain. The word compassion literally means to suffer with. When this occurs, you feel warmth, caring, and the desire to help the suffering person in some way. Having compassion also means that you offer understanding and kindness to others when they fail or make mistakes rather than judging them harshly. Finally, when you feel compassion for another, it means that you realize that suffering, failure, and imperfection is part of the shared human experience. So that's compassion. Self-compassion involves acting the same way toward yourself. It's like, I recognize my own suffering and I'm going to extend care in love and warmth to me. I'm going to extend that to the parts of myself that are suffering. And so if you can do that, if you can tap into the physical sensations of that and then try to hold it in your body as long as you can, or you do it in regular intervals, this is also a way to increase that secretory IgA to support your overall immune system and to support your gut. So I know that this was kind of a mixed bag of tricks, but I hope that somewhere throughout this episode, you found some golden nuggets that you can apply to your life, help yourself or help somebody else. All right. I love you guys. See you next week. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.